A couple of weeks ago, as we said farewell to our friend, Pastor Robert Ortiz, he reminded us what the mission of the United Methodist Church is. Does anybody remember what that mission is? I know there's some of you in this room that know it. The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus the Christ for the transformation of the world. Throughout the summer, this, uh, this coming summer, we'll be exploring little bits of what that idea actually means, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus the Christ, and how disciples actually do change this world. We'll do this mostly through the lectionary verses in Matthew as we go through the summer. So if you want to read along or read ahead, uh, pick up your Bibles and you can start in Matthew 9-ish, but it'd be even better if you started in Matthew 1. But uh, we'll be going through Matthew for most of the summer. Last week, we started with Matthew's story of the calling of the tax collector, Matthew. And we explored what this call asks of us even here today. And this week, we continue with this next story. This story comes just a few verses after the calling of Matthew. And as we begin to explore this story, I want to situate the text just a little bit. The Gospel of Matthew opens with a number of chapters that have somewhat introductory information. This is who Jesus is. This is where he was born. This is who his family was. And then we get in chapter 3 and chapter 4 to introduce ourselves to the character of John the Baptist. We witness the baptism of Jesus, and then we see Jesus immediately go out into the wilderness for his desert temptations. In this gospel, it's not until about halfway through chapter 4 that we start to see Jesus actually at work. And we get in chapter 4, verse 23, what essentially becomes Jesus' own mission statement in this gospel. Chapter 4, verse 23 says that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The verses that we read today from chapter 9 echo exactly this verse from chapter 4. This, this verse in chapter 4 and this verse in chapter 9 bookend a specific set of texts within the Gospel of Matthew. And these, gospel, these chapters within these two bookends help explain how it is that Jesus fulfills this mission that he has. First, we see the proclamation of the good news. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 contain the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' proclamation of what it is to be in and within the kingdom of heaven. And then this proclamation is followed by the actions of Jesus in chapters 8 and 9. And in these two chapters, Jesus is busy. He heals people with all sorts of ailments. From leprosy to fevers to the blind and the mute, he heals a paralyzed man that's brought to him by his friends. He calms a storm on the sea. He calls disciples. He casts out demons. In one verse, it says that Jesus healed all the sick. All of the sick. There's a story where Jesus forgives the sin, forgives the sins of a man, and then heals him of his paralysis. And there's a story that as Jesus is on his way to bring a dead girl back to life, he heals a woman with hemorrhages. These two chapters are absolutely whirlwind of activity on the part of Jesus. And as we read these two chapters, 
If we imagine all of the work that Jesus is doing as he's walking through Galilee, if we think about why he's doing that work, it's hard not to begin to feel a little overwhelmed by how much pain and how much need there is in this world around him. It seems that Jesus barely gets on the road to go to the next stop before he's confronted by yet another desperate person or yet another desperate situation. Just as an aside, when we read our Bibles, when we come to church, we often hear one little snippet of text. Or when we read, we'll read one little devotional passage. And this is a good thing. We can mine these little stories for all that they're worth. And I do it up here weekly, so... Um, it's a good thing, but sometimes it's a little bit, uh, it's helpful to get a little bit of a higher altitude as we read these stories, because what we find specifically within this passage, within these two chapters, is that these things are happening over and over and over and over, that the world around Jesus, the world that Jesus encounters is just full of people in pain. These two chapters are full of people in suffering but they're also full of people that receive restoration. These two chapters together tell the story of the world that Jesus encountered every day. And when we read from a higher altitude, we start to see that this world of Galilee and all of the need in it looks a whole lot like the world that we encounter here. My son... My son is at an age where he is starting to notice all of the helpless and all of the harassed in the world around us. When we come to church here uh, on the weekdays or on Sunday mornings, we often drive under 281 on Sunset Avenue. And if you've driven under there, you will know that you often see somebody on the side of the road there asking for help. I've started to notice that as we drive under that bridge, I'll look in my rearview mirror and my son Oliver will be craning his neck and watching those people as we drive by. During the school year, when I pick him up from school, our route home goes by the San Pedro Migrant Resource Center and there's often dozens of people outside of this place in desperate need of food, in desperate need of clothing, need and transportation and work. And my son has started to see them. He started to ask questions about why we see so many people in that place. Why we see so many people on the sides of the road asking for food and asking for money. And these are really, really hard questions to answer for a six-year-old. They're really hard questions to answer for myself. And for a society that we say is informed by Christian values. It's hard to know what to tell my son about violence. About immigration, about international law, about mental illness and injustice. But he asks the questions. He sees these people in need. He sees them and he's such, he's such a sweet boy that it makes him sad. And he's open enough to tell me. He's open enough to tell me that the things that he sees on the side of the road make him sad. And now, 
The surprising part of this for me was that when I see this in him, I wonder why I haven't been so sad myself. Sometimes we may feel overwhelmed by the need that we see around us, by just how common that this need is. And unfortunately, the way that we often respond to being overwhelmed by something is to ignore it. We shut out that which distresses us. My son still sees it. But I often respond with blindness. I'm going to read the first few verses once again of our passage this morning. The verses that we find at the end of chapter 9. As I read these verses, I want you to bear in mind the two chapters that came right before these words. Every bit of need that Jesus sees and responds to. I want you to bear in mind the need that we see outside of the walls of this church and even inside of it. Jesus went about to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease, every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. This word compassion, by the way, is a Greek word that means to have one's bowels moved. So Jesus sees the people in need and his guts are wrenched. He saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. My response to the need that I so often see in this world is often to ignore it. I know that I cannot fulfill every need that I see, and I'm not even called to fulfill all of those needs. But I know that often when I can do something, I don't. I respond instead with blindness and despair. Jesus, however, in this story actually sees the crowds. He sees the crowds with the sheep without a shepherd. He sees the oppressed and the discarded, and his response is not despair. Instead, his response is prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, says Jesus. Pray that God would send someone to see them and to help. And then Jesus answers this prayer by sending the very people that he told to pray. My good friend and colleague Chris Estes of Hip Replacement fame told me that in recovery, there's a phrase that they often use when these feelings that I'm feeling arise within people. He says that when somebody goes into recovery, they're often overwhelmed by everything that they face. It's hard enough to quit a substance, but there's also a lot of other patterns that have to change, a lot of behaviors that have to change. These people have to start naming the consequences of the things that they've done. They have to start making amends. And you can imagine that if you had to do all of that at once, it would be overwhelming. But the recovery community does slow it down. They say you can take it one step at a time. And they assure that these new people that come into recovery hear this. They tell them that there is good news and that there is bad news. The good news is there is a solution. And the bad news is that that solution is us. (laughs) Chris said I had to laugh at the end. There is good news and there is bad news. There is a solution. That is good news. But the bad news is the solution is us. 
When we see the harassed and the helpless, the solution is us. The solution is the community of called disciples. A couple of weeks ago, our pastors and several lay delegates from our church headed down to Corpus Christi for the yearly gathering of the Rio Texas Annual Conference. And at that conference, we had a speaker that was helping us to remember the why of our churches, the why of what we are doing, the why of why we even gather here on Sunday mornings. The speaker said that we are a church. We are a called community of disciples because we are called together for God, by God, for the sake of the people around us that need healing and restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation. We are who we are, not for this church, but because Jesus saw the crowds and called disciples together. Jesus sent those disciples. The why of what we do isn't just to sit here. The why of what we do isn't just to grow the membership of these churches. Our churches, said the speaker, are not the objects of God's love, but the subjects of God's love. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't love the church. I know that God loves the church and he loves this very church. But the speaker wanted us to know that this church and every church are to be the instruments of God's love, not just the recipients. Who we are and why we are here is to bless the world. We are called together as a community of disciples to be sent to those crowds, to those that need the good news of God's reign here and now in a hard and broken world. This has always been the why from the beginning of our story. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, Abraham is called to be the father of many nations because in him and in his family, all the nations of the world would be blessed. We read the story in Exodus this morning of the people called to covenant with God. And what it said there is that these people are called into covenant because they are to be a kingdom of priests. They're called to be a people that open the eyes of the world around them to the grace and the power of a God who sets the enslaved free. This is a God that has from the beginning always seen these crowds of helpless and harassed. This God has always heard the cry and this God has always called and equipped and sent a community to address the need. That speaker at annual conference said that often when we see this world in need of redemption, we start looking the wrong way for help. She said that in the church way too often we start saying that we need more Jesus. That if we talk about Jesus more, if we worship Jesus more, then maybe the problems in this world would just melt away. The speaker pointed it out when Jesus sees these crowds, he says we need more disciples. We need more people that hear the call. We need more people that receive the authority that Jesus gives in this passage. We need people that actually go when they're sent. My invitation for you today and my invitation for myself is that I hope that I actually hear the call. I hope that when you see the harassed and the helpless, that you might stop and take a closer look. 
that you might actually let your gut be wrenched. That you might respond by asking God to send someone to see and to have compassion. And that you might take an extra moment to wonder if that person is you. This week, as I drove again under that bridge on 281, my son stared through the back window once again. And he stares for a good two or 300 yards as we drive. And he turned back around and he just looked down. Kind of stared down into his lap. And I could see the sadness on his face and I was just about to ask him what he was thinking about and how he was feeling when I started to see his face brighten up just a little bit. And then it got real bright. My son in that moment, as he was staring down, realized that he was called, that he was equipped, that he was even sent to help a need of a person on the side of the road. Several months ago, another child of this church, our friend Emmy, had an idea when she saw the crowds of the helpless and the harassed to find a way to meet those needs. And she created what were called Emmy's blessing bags. And she enlisted the help of this church to make them. We made dozens of blessing bags that uh, first time that we did it. And we've had groups that continue to make these blessing bags. But that morning, as Oliver and I came here to the church and he looked down into his lap, he saw that between his legs was a blessing bag. And his face lit up. He said, Dad, tomorrow when we drive by, we'll see him again. We can give him one of these blessing bags. May we learn from these children. May we open our eyes and may we see what they see. May we see what Jesus sees. May we see the helpless and the harassed, the oppressed and the discarded. And may we, like our rabbi Jesus, have our guts wrenched. May we pray. May we ask for help. And may we see that there is a solution. And the solution is us. In the name of the God who calls and the Son who sends and the Spirit who equips. Amen.